Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 379 of the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis here with Sarah Powers. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Megan. How are you? Oh, just clucking along. <laughs> Were you just waiting to drop that one on me? I mean, yeah, I guess. Um, well, in case it wasn't clear, we have had this idea kind of rattling around um, where we want to talk about motherhood through the lens of having been the caretakers of <laughs> Like, what would you say? Uh, fertile and gestating lactating. chickens and cats and lactating. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There's been a lot of a lot of observational animal motherhood happening in our homes. And if you if you don't know what we're talking about, we'll give a like a quick recap. But we found ourselves having um, conversations just personally in Voxer the way we do about chickens and kittens. Um and we just thought it'd be fun to expand on that a little. And it's so hard not to apply our own preconceptions about motherhood and raising kids to animal life when we see it playing out in front of us. And then that even even that observation opened up like a whole can of worms. Like, is that even correct? Right. I mean, we had multiple conversations about kitten attachment parenting and kitten extended breastfeeding versus yeah. Um, mother-led weaning or human-led yes. cat mother-led weaning. And I mean, I also am now collecting eggs daily and feeling a little guilty about collecting eggs from chickens who clearly want to sit on their eggs. So there's a lot of projection going on. I learned that I can't pronounce the word anthropomorphize. No, never mind. <laughs> Maybe by Can the you end say of it this for episode. Me? I don't think so. It's not getting any better. Anthropomorphize. Which means to project or assign human, uh, like to assume that there's human thoughts happening in these beings who are not humans. Uh, that's kind yes. of like how I use it, at least. If you grew up uh, reading books like Black Beauty, um, that's the one that pops into my head. But there's a million of them, like told from the animal's point of view. You do start to kind of 
think that your cat or the kittens or the chickens or your dog or whatever are thinking the same kinds of thoughts humans are. And I feel like that can get a little, it's tricky. Let's just put it that way. It's a little tricky. So we will get into all of that. Wait, real quick, before we even move on, since we're talking about vocabulary, can I share something I learned about animal husbandry? Because yes, we, we, when we teased this episode, I think it was just last week, we said we were going to be doing this and we made a joke about that. I keep calling this animal husbandry. And then I, I asked, does that only mean breeding? Like if you're, if you're breeding or you have a farm or something, and I actually don't know, I still don't know the technical term, but we were at the Monterey Bay Aquarium just a few days ago and uh, we did a behind the scenes tour, which was really cool. But the tour guide kept referring to anyone who cares for the creatures at the Monterey Bay Aquarium Their The title of their department was husbandry. So that leads me to believe it is not just breeding and helping deliver new babies and, and sires and dams and all of that, that I think of as husbandries. But um, in fact, maybe it's a broader term and it was used at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. And I was like, ha, I love that. You're like, ha ha. Well, you know, the answer was just a quick Google away. So I, I just Googled, I it. Googled it. And it's funny that you just did all of this mental gymnastics. Um, it's just the care, cultivation and breeding of crops and animals. So, yeah. Crops I mean, in there too. Oh. Right. Crops are in there too. So like it has nothing to do with sires and dams. Um, okay. well, even we're though not talking about plant babies today at all. <laughs> not, not today. That'll be another episode. Foul, when we really get into foul and feline baby. Yes. And I just think what's fun, what I kind of, um, and I'm the one who built out the most of the outline this time. And as I was sort of starting to kind of try to group things thematically, here's one thing that I think is very similar to human moms and babies. You've got the experience of like watching the babies become grown up, like teenagers and grown ups, right? They've got their thing going on. Then you've got the mom and her experience of, or the way her behavior is as a mother. And then you've got the pair. And those are like three separate entities and the way that they, so we're like, we can talk about them separately. Like what does a kitten act like? What does a chick act like? And then we can talk about how the moms act when they're mothering but then there's the pair and there's all those interesting dynamics, some of which like relate to our lives as human mothers and yeah. some which probably shouldn't, <laughs> but still it's well, hard right. not to, it's hard not to let them. It's hard not to anthropomorphize. And I would actually add, I have a sibling pair of kittens too. So mm-hmm. I have observed some sibling dynamics and maybe some of your chicks are siblings to each other. I would imagine. Yes. Yeah. But they don't know they are right. <laughs> Mine do. My, my yeah. sibling pair knows. So yeah. Um, well, for anyone new or who maybe even skipped podcast listening this summer and doesn't even know about our chickens and kittens, let's just do like a roll call of the animals living under our roofs and in our yards right now. I can go first because um, this has changed, I'm realizing, so much. And it's been a couple of years since we did an episode that had anything to do with pets or husbandry. Um, so I have a dog, Xander, who's five and is a mini golden doodle and will feature not very much in today's episode, but, but a little bit because he is being a really good, um, dog with newly acquired cats in our house. Um, we have a Guinea pig that we've had for about two and a half years. And my oldest Luke has two rats, like a pair of sibling rats that live in Luke's room. So it's like a little different, not like out, but we do have two rats. Um, so that's a dog, a Guinea pig, two rats, and then this summer, we took on a mama cat with her two babies when they were about four and a half weeks old. 
Um, and so we had been fostering them for a couple of months. Um, the mama cat has um, been adopted actually by my brother. So she gets to stay in the oh, family. Oh, I didn't know that had gone through. It's yeah, pretty much so great. It's pretty much official. He's kind of foster to adopting right now. And as long as it just wasn't compatible or whatever. So anyway, um, and so we decided to keep both babies, both kittens. So now we have two cats as well. So that's a dog, two cats, a guinea pig, and two rats. That's your we, rodent game is strong. Yeah, we we are a small farm. And sometimes I have to pause yeah. and think, is that it? It feels like more. I'm three children. So how about you? <laughs> um, I'm also very curious because and we don't have to necessarily get into this in depth in this episode, but I do think it'll come up when we start talking about that sibling pair dynamics and the attachment um, because you went through you at one point considered every possible combination of keeping yeah. The, the a mama and a baby pair, both the kittens, one kitten. Like you had mm-hmm. many different options on the table. So it'll be fun to kind of go into how you landed where you did. Yeah. Um so we are down to one actual pet in the house, our cat, uh, Gia, who we don't ever call Gia, so I forget that's her name all the time. That's the name she came with from the shelter. We never settled on a different name and we just call her Kitty. Um so Kitty is roaming around. She's mostly a Clara's room cat now. She used okay. to be a my room cat and she's now in the new house has decided Clara's room is where it's at. And that's where she is almost all the time, much to the boys chagrin. Uh, they want her down in their rooms and she does go down there occasionally, but she really prefers Clary's bed. And uh, Moxie, our dog was put down. Um, I don't even remember three months ago, I guess. About right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of, that was hard. Um, she had diabetes and just never really responded very well to treatment and then went blind. And it was just really, it was really tough. I have been getting calls from the vet's office because the paw print that they had made, like they asked me while I was signing the dog's life literally away. Right. And so they're like, would you like to have a clay paw print made? And I thought, well, what kind of monster doesn't say yes? So I said, yes, funny, and sorry. I don't want to go pick it up now. Like, I have no desire to ever go back to that vet's office, actually. I, it's just like, I'm going to take the cat somewhere else. It's just, I don't want to go back there. It was yeah. really hard, and I just, I, yeah. and I thought they were nice people, but I just don't want to go back. So now I have to figure I have to figure this out. Maybe I'll just call the credit card in over the phone and ask them to put it in the mail or throw it away. Yeah. <laughs> Something I'm not, I'm not really a paw print, like, on the mantle kind of person. Yeah. And so, anyway. um, And I have 23 chickens. Okay. which we got, <laughs> that's it's kind of that's buried the newer. That in there. Yeah. Yeah. So we got, um, a whole bunch of chicks in the spring. We went to tractor supply and they have chicken days or chick days where they just have like tons of chicks and they're so cute. And they gave us a really good deal on some slightly older ones. Otherwise I think we were going to get like 10 and we wound up walking out of there with 25 chicks. I don't, I'm, it's like a daze. I don't even really know how it happened. We have space for them. Um, but they're not really pets. They're, you know, they're working animals. <laughs> so they're outside yeah. and I do go out there every day and talk to them and feed them treats and, you know, check on them and, and take care of them and clean out their coop and gather eggs, which we can talk about the eggs in a little bit. Um, but it's just an interesting dynamic to have animals that are under my care, but are not really pets. And so that also kind of creates a little bit of a different, it's just different. It's just different the way I think about them and their futures and their fates is a little different than I would about the cat, you know? So yeah, yeah, totally. And I would even say with a house full of um, pets of different breeds, even like the Guinea pig is inside, 
But the way we interact with the guinea pig and to some degree the rats is different than dog and cats. So I think there's even a spectrum of of bonding, of like anthropomorphizing and of the way you enjoy these animals. And then, yeah, moving out to the backyard and the pasture, I can see how it would be even even less of a domesticated companion and more of like, yeah, a working animal. And we'll get into this in a little bit, but um, I think I mentioned that we bought 25 chicks and I also mentioned that we have 23 chickens and there has been no mourning about the two right. missing chickens. So we'll talk about that a little they bit. They don't more. even all have names in your, in your no. flock. Yeah. Most of them don't actually. So Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor Factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor Meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor Meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah. And for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle, whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code MOMHOUR50 at factormeals.com slash MOMHOUR50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from our place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the Forever Chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Okay, Sarah, so I thought it would be fun to kind of start this conversation by talking about that tendency to project, I'm not even going to try attempt the word, the anthro word, um, animals and then how that can lead to this confusion. And I'm just going to lay out what I've noticed about my situation and your situation. Um, roosters whole job and we wound up, we didn't mean to have any roosters. We figured, so there's something that you get either a straight run with chicks or pullets. 
And with a straight run, it's literally just 50 50. Like you, they just give you whatever chicks you get. And it usually works out to about 50 50 hens and 50 50 roosters. We went with pullets, which means somebody has done the effort to try to determine their sex. But it's really tricky. A cursory check. And it's very tricky because their junk all kind of looks the same. So there's not really like a good way to figure it out. Um, And that's that's all I'll say about that for now. I am in no, by no means an an expert. But we wound up with out of 20, 25 chicks, uh, six roosters that we even know of. I mean, it's possible there could be another rooster who's just very chill. But like six who asserted themselves as roosters. And it's been really interesting to watch the dynamics. Like roosters are like, um, like a bad eighties sitcom dad. They just kind of like, they like strut around a lot. Um, it's like married with children or something. I don't know if you remember that show. So it's like a lot of strutting, a lot of telling the women what to do. Um, a lot of mating. And the mating doesn't look fun for anybody, but least of all the hens. None of them are into it. They run away. I mean, it's just hard to watch without adding human judgment. And then here you've got this single cat mom with her absentee tomcat dad. Exactly. So there's no dad in the picture um, in our situation. And she likely was a teen mom in the cat world. And in fostering, I learned they call that a teen queen because queen is the name for a mother cat anyway. Uh, okay. Teen queen has I a fun it. rhyme. So when we very first brought her home, um, the woman fostering her before us had the mom and the kittens when they were, I think she, that woman got them when they were a week old. So somebody had probably found this mama. And the woman told me, she's like, I think she's a teen queen, which means she, the mom is probably not even a year. So she is wow. a teen mom, right. With an absentee Tomcat dad who, you know, showed up one night, never was heard from again. My guess is that this litter was probably not two kittens. I've I've had a few litters of kittens in my life and I've never had a litter of two. That's not to say mm. it's biologically impossible, but usually it's I think usually it's like more. three to six, three yeah. to seven. Um, so my guess is probably some of the babies didn't make it. That was not on our watch or even the woman before us. Um, so yeah, to your point, it's very hard not to take in this family and um assume like the same like emotional or, you know, thoughts and judgments and feelings about it that we would like a teen mother who with an absent father. And that's not what we're, that's not what we're dealing with, but it is really hard not to. So yeah, I think it's fascinating. Well, it's funny to watch like the behaviors of the um, roosters and the hens and to think, okay, so it's like around dusk, about an hour before dusk, the roosters start rounding up the hens and pushing them back into the coop. And you can actually see there's a couple like rebellious um, hens that will fly up and like fly up to the top of the fence to try to like almost wait them out or not have to get put away for the night. And finally they do, they get, and then the the roosters just kind of strut around crowing at everything. And then finally they go in and then we have like an electronic door on the coop that will shut like half an hour after dusk to keep predators out. And they're in a fenced enclosure um, that's pretty big, but has a lot of opportunity for predators to get in. Like a predator could climb a tree and jump in. Like it wouldn't be hard for them or, or dig under the um, fence. So the roosters are doing their jobs. Um, if they didn't jump on literally the way they mate, they jump on the backs of the hens and hold onto their feathers with their beak. 
to keep them in place. It's very violent to watch. This would be unacceptable male behavior in human life, but that's how it is in the animal world. And that's how the hens stay safe. And that's how they get baby chickens. (laughs) Like, it's just so funny when you start to, and I don't know how things would be with a cat. Like maybe in the wild, maybe cats sometimes do mate for life and stay together in pairs. I really don't know. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of funny that are like, whoa, where's dad? Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Yes. We're immediately, <laughs> immediately judging him and feeling protective or sorry for mama. And we don't know. She could be very, she could be totally secure in her position as a teen queen with two orphan babies. Like it's, who just landed in a cushy home environment totally. mm-hmm. and getting taken care of anyway. So, yeah. all right. Well, okay. With all of that in mind. Um, the fact that that's coloring every way we think about every single thing. Let's just talk about the actual behaviors we, we've seen in the kittens and the chickens themselves as the chick babies, yeah. right? Um, and yeah, definitely say how you might have projected your own feelings onto them if if there are, I guess, circumstances where you see a kitten acting up and think, you know, if that was yeah. my kitten, yeah, exactly. I wouldn't let that happen, mama. Exactly. <laughs> Well, what's fascinating is the age at which we got them. So um, we got them, they were four and a half or five weeks old when we got them, which means they had been exclusively nursing with their mama um, with at the former foster. And they were just ready to start solid foods. Their eyes were open, but it was like the perfect time to get them because we saw so much change between like a one month old kitten and a two month old kitten. And they are now over two and a half months, closer to three months um, as we record this. So I think what was so much fun to observe was on the kitten side, just how they were. I'm trying to think of like an infant, like what age I would compare this to a human infant. I'm already doing that comparing thing, but maybe like a six month old, a five or six month old where they've just been completely like just attached and nursing for a few months and they are finally like developments about to explode. So for the kittens, they weren't even very good at walking. Their eyes were open and they could walk, but they were not even very good at like walking on all fours. They kind of like stumbled around. They were very timid. They would not go more than like a a foot from their mom. And within from five weeks to six weeks to seven weeks to eight weeks, it was like night and day. So it was so much fun to like, and I couldn't help compare that to, you know, a baby. They're getting interested in the world around them. They're experimenting with sights and sounds and smells just like a human infant would. Um, The weaning or sorry, I'll talk about actual weaning later because I know that means weaning means the gradual like um, shift to solid food and away from breast milk. The introduction of solid food happened right away when we got them. The foster people were like, yeah, they need to start start eating solid food. They didn't actually stop nursing till much later. Um, but just introducing them to solid food, we were supposed to put a little bit on our finger and like put it in their mouth. And like it's so it was so similar to that kind of like first introduction of solids. Um, one of the babies took to solids really quickly and the other one was not interested at all. And I found myself being that like fretting mother who was like, well, she's, you know, I know she's nursing, so I know she's getting technically what she needs, but the foster lady told me that she should be eating solids. I was Megan, I was having all of these same like thoughts you have when it's your first baby. And yeah. and one pediatrician is telling you, oh, they're just fine. Just keep <laughs> breastfeeding them. They'll eventually come around. And then somebody else is telling you like, no, you know, you really should be like 
they should be practicing their pincher grasp. And like, it's just so <laughs> funny. Like I was having identical um, feelings about the introduction of solids. And then, yeah, as they got, like, as we moved from six to seven to eight weeks, and now, like I said, I think they're probably hmm, 10, 11 weeks right now. Um, their personalities coming out, the difference between them. I'll probably mention that more later, but it having a sibling pair is so fascinating because they have such different personalities and then watching the way they start to play with each other, the way they would start to play with their mom and her tolerance of that or not. Um, and then toward the end, I know we'll talk more about weaning later, but, um, they would, they were nursing less and eating more. And I would notice like, they'd be really distracted when they were nursing. Like if we'd come in the room, they immediately wanted to get up and play. Whereas in the beginning, when we came in the room, if they were all nestled nursing, it was like, no one could be bothered. They were fine. So it's just like, I, those are just a few of the parallels, but I could not help see mother baby dynamics in the human world in those ways. And then, like we've said, there are lots of ways in which they are not humans. Well, and I think what's really fascinating about that to me, and we'll talk a little more about like the witnessing the mothering experience happening right. um, with Mama Cat, but you're, so it is kind of like being the mom who's hearing two different things from the pediatricians, right? Except yeah. you're not the mom. The mom is there doing her thing. So you're like yeah. an external person. Yes. And I guess if we just stood back and watched what the mom did, that might give you clues. However, mom is also not in a normal, natural situation oh, right. either. Exactly. It's kind of like she's a mom with a hovering mother-in-law <laughs> in the background. And uh -huh. she's probably like, well, I don't know. Seems like she wants to feed the kitten. So, okay. I mean, yeah. it's just, it like, it's layering on so many different, you know, interspecies dynamics that make it much more complicated than it would be if they were like out in the bush. Just and like living remember, under a I tree. I remember voxing you when the foster coordinator lady made a big deal to me about how yeah. important it was to wean them quickly. And I got all in a fluster that like this weaning, this introduction to solids needed to happen right away because mama needed to dry out so she could get spayed, so she could get adopted. And what I realized was like, okay, well, this woman has a lens of um, fostering and placing into permanent homes as many abandoned cats as she can, which is totally noble. And like, I see where she was coming from. I was not as on board with that agenda because I was okay keeping this unit together for as long as we needed to, which not every foster family is there's, there's different. So I guess all that to say, like people's advice was very dependent on like what their ultimate goal is. And I'm sure yeah. with your chickens, it's the same. Like is, is the, end goal, like mass egg production? Is it sort of backyard chicken enjoyment? Is it to have no right. roosters? Like there's now it's where the domestic humans kind of come in and layer our own, I don't know, like superiority priorities yes. over what's yeah. unfolding in the natural world. I, there's like, I'm, I'm trying to say that without judgment of like what's right or wrong. It's just, we have our human priorities and even those are not all the same. Right. And it's like there's like public kitten health. So like there's yes. objectives that would be best for like the overall cat world if everybody did it. But then there's a lot of room within that for individual choice right. as long as it doesn't kind of affect the bigger system that needs to run a certain way. 
Um, and I tend to be more of an individualist. So systems are always a little tricky for me. I don't like rules that don't apply to me, um, that I feel don't apply to me. And so even that stuff gets confusing. Cause I'm like, yeah. well, but I don't, I get that that's okay for everybody else, but like, that's not what I want to do. So right. yes. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. Well I'll briefly, you know, just rehash that with the chicks, we got them from a store and I never saw them with their mothers. I actually have a feeling they were probably incubator hatched. It's just my guess. Like, I don't okay. really know where they source their um, chicks from, but like, it's a big company. I know they're sourcing them from farms. So, so maybe it's different. Like maybe sometimes they come, you know, they're with their moms for a little while and then they come to us, but they were only a few days old. So even if they were with, even wow, if mom days. sat on them, yeah. Yeah. Um, even if mom had sat on them and like helped them hatch or whatever, or, and watched over them for a day or two, they wouldn't have been with mom for very long. And I imagine they weren't. Cause I think that would create a lot of complications. Like imagine your job is to have like rehome chicks and yeah. like sell them in a retail environment. It seems like it would be really complicated to try to do that and let mom have anything to do with it. So I don't know that for sure, but I do know that we never saw them with their mothers. Um, so there's some essence of like what it would look like to watch a chick grow up with its mom that was just missing. And yeah. um, like an I orphanage. do. You have like, like yes. an old timey orphanage of. Yeah. Like no. The way I was thinking of it, it's like a like a giant preschool classroom because I had four different breeds, maybe five four <laughs> four different breeds. And these chicks are just all running around together, growing up at the same time, kind of influencing and socializing each other but with no adult chickens to tell them what to do or how to do it. And by the time I got them, they knew how to eat and stuff like, you know, they weren't, they were old enough to know how to get themselves to their food and eat it and drink their water. So we didn't have to do that, but like we did have to make sure they didn't I don't know, just keep them under the warm lamp. And it was really very simple, but, um, but also like, I think there's something missing and I would really like to at one point hatch some yeah. chicks with their yeah. moms and let them grow up with their moms when just when we decide it's time to do that, probably next summer would be my guess. Um, so anyway, there's it was kind of like all of these little chicks that kind of looked the same in their breed. Right. Or in their. Yeah. Like so their type. One thing that was interesting is that they grew at rapidly different paces. So sometimes I'd come out and think I knew which chicks were which breed. And then a couple of days later, they would look so different that I would have no idea. So right. I was not able to tell them apart um, by their looks really at all. I did notice that some of them were more friendly, more um, curious, would come up to me. And then a few of them early on got combs. And so those were the ones that got names. Unfortunately, it turned out that several of them had combs because they were roosters so I got kind of attached to roosters and I don't know, like part of me kind of wishes because there were so many of them and the way we were handling them, they were like in this little room that I had to kind of climb into and then they'd all run around my feet. There just wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of bonding happening. Yeah. And I kind of wish that someone like one had imprinted on me, but I'm absolutely sure it would be Ginger who's going to end up in the pot because Ginger yeah. is now trying to attack us. So. Like I would have imprinted on the ones that probably weren't going to make it in our, and now I'd have the guilt of being like, well, maybe I should rehome this mean rooster and I'm going to look for a home, you know, no, because everyone in the world wants a mean rooster. Right. Like, right. All, really your neighbors, all your neighbors are, <laughs> what's their greatest wish. Do exactly. you know, anecdotally, do you, have you talked to people with smaller starter flocks? Like if you'd gotten six or eight chickens, um, 
do they feel more of like a little bit of an attachment or like, you know, name them or is it just, I mean, does it just depend? This is like, I think it depends. But I think that what I've learned, you know, I was a novice. Eric had had chickens before, but never more than like six at a time. And he, you know, we're at the store and I said, well, how many is too many? He said, well, we have space for, you know, 20, 25. And I said, oh, and I said, well, should we do that? He's like, yeah, why not? So he was not looking at it at all. Like he had a very practical, pragmatic standpoint. Like the more chicks we buy, the more eggs we'll have later. Sure. Whereas I think if I could go back and do it again, I would have gotten like six. I just think it would have given me more opportunity to get what I really wanted out of it, which was just getting to watch them grow up. But at the same time, I kind of don't want the pressure of having them be pets either. Yeah. So exactly. I don't know. I totally it's fine. understand the way that. it turned out. It's fine. Yeah. Um, I do think that when people have smaller flocks um, or flocks that start small and then they add no, new chickens slow, more slowly, I think those people tend to have more of like a bond and they, you know, name them and yeah. attach to them and cuddle them. Like my chickens and I do not cuddle together. I don't, when they were really little, I would hold them in my lap, but um, there were so many, I would lose track of which one I had held last. And so I wasn't, they weren't all getting socialized the same. It was like the curious ones that would run yeah. up to me were the ones that sat in my lap and the other ones never did. And now like, you know, some of them come up to me quite readily, like Ginger, who wants to stab me with his talons. Um, yeah, I, I actually thought he was just being really friendly until he ran at me and started kicking me. One of his concubines he wants to herd you into the coop well i think he wants to kick me with his sharp sharp um thing on the back of his leg i can't think of the word of it in the minute and like that can really it can give you an infection like it's not because they just walk around in their own poop and yeah me no want that so anyway um yeah and i guess that just to also touch on the rooster thing is what I have read is that the ideal number of roosters is one to every 10 or 10 to 12, I think, hens. Okay. Um, more than that, and the roosters will fight each other. And the older they get, the more aggressive they will become. Mm-hmm. And um, also, there's often city ordinances where you can't have any roosters. I think where we are, we're technically not supposed to have roosters, but we're far enough out that unless the neighbors complain, it, it's going to be fine. But it's really that they become aggressive and mean and then you can't trust them and they can actually start to stress the hens out yeah. and fight each other like they can get, it can get quite violent. So we're now down. Two of the roosters have um, become dinner and we probably will um, call another two. Mm-hmm. And when I say we, I mean, Eric will do it. Right. That is a we. And yeah, I will Royal support we. him in any means necessary you will make besides broth. actually doing it. <laughs> yes, exactly. So. <laughs> Anyway, um, so that's kind of that's like the chicks and they went through like a an awkward teenage stage where they were all weird feathers and gawky and they looked terrible. And at that point, too, some of them grew really, really fast and became enormous. And the other ones just stayed like small. So it's just been so interesting to watch them. But they are now all fully grown and they have all moved into their chicken mothering stage. So is this a good time for us to take a break? And when we come back, talk about animal mothering. Yeah. All right, let's do it. We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest. I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day, and it could seriously use a refresh. But you know what's good to go? My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately, the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. 
I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather. But please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your uptown loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede, and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Vionic shoes delivers their trademark Viomotion technology for a difference you can feel. Vionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves, so they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's Chewable Kids Vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, so we're going to talk about chicken and cat mothering right now. Um, Again, we are going to do our best... (laughs) To at least be honest about how much we project our human feelings about motherhood onto these animals. Um, And like I mentioned, for me, it's kind of backward because I haven't actually observed any chicken mothering yet. Like I've observed babies growing up without a mother, orphans, yes. And now I'm observing hens really vigorously trying to conceive. um, And that's all I know. So I'm starting to see nesting behaviors, but I haven't yet seen true chicken motherhood. Um, I will just answer a couple of questions that I had about chicken fertility yeah, and how it works. Say, I, I could yeah. throw the dummy questions at you, but it, I think you, you, I don't know anything about like chicken egg laying behavior yeah. or like even how those would hatch into chicks or not the fertilization. Right. I'm like embarrassingly No, no. I was also, I mean, I had chickens at my house and was Googling things like, can I eat fertilized eggs? Like that's how ignorant I was. I had no idea. So, um, when they started to lay eggs, I originally thought it was going to be around 16 weeks. And one of our contributors, Stacy and I have been messaging back and forth on Instagram because she got chicks just like maybe a month after me. And so she was very anxiously waiting and we both were a little I guess misinformed because some of the resources said 16 weeks. And then I read another one that was like at least 20 weeks before they're um, old, before they're consistently maturely laying, laying. Yeah. Maturing, maturely laying eggs. So I would say now 
probably half of the hens are laying eggs regularly, maybe a little more. I, I watch them and I try to see which ones are doing it. And I can tell, well, I can tell the bantams. Those are the really little ones. And we have a whole bunch of bantam hens, um, but they're not laying eggs as much as, as the bigger hens. Now they were the ones who started, they were the oldest and we got them cheap because they were kind of old <laughs> and, but they're teeny tiny. They're also the ones who can easily fly out of the coop. Like they can fly out of the fence. They fly to the top of the fence. Then they fly into the trees and they come back. And I have a feeling they're laying their eggs oh, out someplace and not inside. Um, just a guess, because at first we were getting lots of bantam eggs and now we're not getting as many. So I think when the older hens or the bigger hens started moving into the nesting boxes, the little ones went and found a different place to lay, which is annoying, but it's okay. Um, so the average number of eggs a hen will lay in a year is about 200 but they do slow down during the winter. So you kind of expect to get like an egg or a, every day or every other day at this time of the year, but it takes some time to ramp up to that. And some of the first eggs are really weird. Like we had a few that were like really soft shelled oh, and wow. a few that were weirdly shaped, a few that were really small, even though they came out of normal sized hens, they are starting like every time I go out to collect eggs. Now there's eight, nine a day. Okay. So that's where we are with that. Now here's the thing about fertilization. As I've mentioned, there's a lot of chicken mating happening under my nose. And so those eggs are fertilized. But as long as you get them out from under the hen quickly, like within a day or two, or maybe more than that, but we want to get them out from under the hens quickly um, and put them in the fridge. They won't. They won't continue to fertilize. And they just look like a regular egg with a regular yolk. So even dumber chicken reproduction question. (laughs) If you had no roosters... These yeah. hens would be laying eggs in the same way our human bodies release an yeah. egg a month or whatever, regardless of um, fertilization. But can you assume so when there's mating behavior going on because you do have roosters like you can assume that because of that mating behavior, those eggs have been fertilized. Is it kind of like as like if this, then that? Yeah, like, I think that there's. I mean, I think that there's some possibility the egg would be a dud egg, as I remember it being referred to in Charlotte's Web. Yeah. Um, either didn't get fertilized for whatever reason or um, didn't take it did, or just didn't take. Now, yeah. those roosters are pretty good at mating. Like okay. they don't like no hen escapes their notice. Got it. OK. So I have a feeling that doesn't happen that often. Um, The other thing, and and this has to do too with like collecting the eggs from hens. Um, There's what's called a broody hen. And that's a a hen that really wants to really wants to sit on her eggs. And they can get very depressed if they sit on an egg that never hatches. They can become like basically suicidal because they won't leave their boxes and they won't go eat and they won't take care of themselves. So that can be a real problem. Um, And they will sit on each other's nests or on each other's eggs. So sometimes I'll come in. I've got a couple ladies who I think could be kind of broody and I have to move them off the eggs. They would never let me just like handle them like that in if they were walking around the yard, but they will let me pet them. They will, I will have to lift them up and pull the eggs out from under them because they just want to sit on them. And then once I do, like I I really want to anthropomorphize this, like this, I I really, I feel like there's, I, I want them to have access to good mental health care. I do too. But the best mental health care apparently is just to either take the eggs away or let them hatch. Like there's really nothing else I can do for them. And once I take their eggs away, 
they don't feel bad about it. They just kind of go, okay. And then they just go back out and join the other hens and they just cluck and, you know, get mated on again. And yeah, yeah, object permanence. Right. So they, it's instinctive. They know what they have to do, Yeah. but like, I don't, and then they, they have, some of them just have much more of an urge to keep doing it. It's once the option's taken away, it doesn't seem to have a long-term effect on their psyche. And and if we're going to like back to the anthropomorphizing for a second, they are not humans. And so like, I'm making a joke that like, I feel bad for them that they can't or won't, or like are confused about how they're going to get this egg to hatch into a chick. But at the same time, like that assumes that they even have emotional capacity that we're, we just, we don't know that chickens do, you know what I mean? Like I'm giving them a whole lot of benefit (laughs) of the doubt in terms of social, emotional complexity. I not to take away from any of their instinctual behaviors or like how they are wired to be chickens is amazing. But like, it's not really fair to anyone for me to layer what I think that must feel like in their emotional souls. Well, and also the, the truth is if they were out in the wild, most of their chicks wouldn't make it. I mean, you know, some would get picked off by, um, hawks and weasels and whatever. And we wouldn't expect them to mourn the loss of a baby. Like that's not how nature works. If if that was what was happening, they would turn into humans and then they'd have fewer children and they would move into houses and they would get corporate jobs and they would, you know, listen to podcasts and pay taxes. That's just not like, none of those things are happening. And if mourning happens, if mourning or sadness or perinatal depression happens in chickens, it's not, we don't know what it feels like or looks like because we are not chickens. It's it's almost like maybe they do have their ways of feeling and mourning, but it's not going to look like us because they're not humans. Right. Right. Exactly. They're not reading the Enneagram and trying to figure out why, (laughs) you know, why they're feeling the way they are today. And, and the feel, whatever, however, feelings work, however emotions work in a chicken are very necessary to their survival. But I tend to think, and this is just me assuming it won't be, ex- it won't be extra survival necessary. Does that make sense? Like they yes. won't, they won't feel anything more than they need to feel yeah. to continue their species. Yes. So, um, I wanted to share one fun thing about an a uh, hens, sorry, is when they, there's something called an egg song that I am now hearing all morning long at my house when my windows are open and it's after a hen lays an egg and there's different theories about why they do this. Um, they sing their little song and it's the very like typical stereotypical like that, Uh but it's super loud and for a very long time. And they're just like, and then sometimes that they'll do that. And another one will start and then the rooster will crow at them. And it's, quite funny. I've read that it's like a way just to be so proud of themselves, which I kind of like that idea. I've also yeah. read that it can be an instinctive way to lead predators away from the eggs um, or to let other hens know that nesting boxes open because they do right. share nesting boxes. So right. um, anyway, who knows why, but I think it's really cute. And I love hearing that coming from their yard during the day. It makes me smile. And I guess <laughs> I don't have any real experience watching hens as moms, but I will just say that I have read and this kind of, it makes me want to witness this with my own eyes. Um, that, I mean, there's a reason mother hen is like 
such a fright. It's like such a yeah. truism, right? Yeah. They're very, they're known as being very protective for hiding chicks under their wing, letting the chicks eat first, um, all kinds of things. And I, I actually grabbed a couple of little um, snippets from an article I read that we can link to about why, like why mother hens are known to be such good mothers. I thought these were fascinating. So one says a, a hen knows instinctively how long to sit on eggs and when to turn them. Occasionally she will stand to rearrange the eggs or briefly leave the nest. This, these periods allow enough light to reach the eggs to enhance brain development, but are short enough to prevent eggs from losing too much heat while still within the egg, embryos learn the sound of her cluck and close to hatching, they will respond to her by beak clapping. They emit distress and contentment calls to which she responds. The clicks and beak claps allow them to synchronize their hatching. And then it talks a lot about social learning, which I think is one of the things I actually have read a couple articles, um, again, sort of like the foster cat mom telling you, you should wean them. I've read articles that staunchly say you should separate chicks from their moms early on because they're more protected in a group and blah, blah, blah. And other ones that say, no, let them do what happens naturally because the mom is teaching them something. She's teaching them what is good food and like what to not eat. She's teaching them what to be afraid of. You know, chickens are kind of basic. They're afraid of shadows. They're afraid of things (laughs) overhead. Um, And they'll not learn that unless they watch, unless they're taught. Yes. Yes. And someone has to see that a hawk will eat you before the chickens know why they're afraid of a shadow. They don't even really know why they're just, you know, they run. I see them run. Like if there's something overhead, I see them all run into like a protected area of the yard, but they don't really know why they're doing it. And I think that that, um, generational learning is helpful. So this is also interesting The this is about, um, the mother hen uses a special food call and pecking display to indicate what is right to eat. So what she displays, they approach when she displays this with her calls, they feed on the items that she points out. And then if she sees them eating something, she considers the wrong food based on her experience, which she wouldn't be able to do if she didn't have experience. She increases her calls, picking up and dropping suitable, suitable food and beak wiping until they switch to the right food. I just find all of that fascinating. And I really want to watch it happen in real life. I love it. And it makes me feel like so much compassion for like they really are really good mamas even if that's by our human definition i love it exactly they're they're just as good as they need to be (laughs) like they're necessarily good right so yeah yeah well what about you what have you observed with mama cats and their mothering habits well admittedly a very small sample size but i just felt like a huge wave of like appreciation right after we got this little family we we were on the list to foster and I did think that fostering a mother and babies would be fun, but it wasn't the only thing we could have gotten. We could have gotten an abandoned, like an orphan litter. Um, we could have gotten a pregnant mom and then seen her through the delivery. So getting a mom who had already gotten her babies through the first few kind of crucial weeks and was already actively mothering was so cool. She was such a good mama. Um, she, like I said, was probably a teen mom. So she was going off of her instincts and like, Nobody taught her how to do this. I don't think she just knew what to do. Um, I will say some of the things I observed about how she was with us humans were that she seemed to be really conserving her energy for the essential activities in the beginning, just like just like we do as new moms. Like she was just social enough with us and and kind of like she didn't display a lot of what I think of as typical adult cat behaviors like 
She didn't jump up on surfaces very much. She didn't like investigate things. She was sort of like truly in her little um, lactating bubble where her only purpose seemed to be taking care of these babies. Now, she was protective and she was what I thought of as worried. I guess I can't project that she was actually worried, but we would open there. They um, were staying in this half bath. Um, little bathroom that we have off the hallway. And so that was their room. And in the beginning, that door was closed a lot of the time. And then we'd open it and we'd let the little babies explore a little bit or we'd go in and pet them. But as time went on and the babies would come further out into the hallway and into our front living room, she would come and I can post a picture in the show notes or on Instagram because I have a great picture. She would come and she would sit alert at the doorway to the bathroom. She would watch them and she had this specific sound she would make. And it wasn't like she was totally panicked, but it was almost like a chirp. You know how cats will do that chirp where it's like to birds like. Yeah. 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 And it was almost like she was either talking to them or probably more likely she was signaling to them where she was so that if they needed to like if they got distracted, as toddler kittens are wont to do, that they knew where she was. So she would just sit at the door and kind of. um pensively she did seem a little worried but not so worried that she was like freaking out she was just sort of uh, at attention sitting at attention making this very specific sound and I just want like as they got more adventurous that's when I started to be like oh honey they're okay like they are doing what they are meant to do like you're doing fine they're gonna be okay but and I felt like I wanted to calm her like she was a little bit overly worried as time went on Mm -hmm. but it's at the same time I admired it um one time she came at me. So she was protective, but we didn't give her a lot of reason to need to be protective. Like we were pretty good about, we kept the dog away. She would hiss at the dog, even though the dog's really gentle and friendly, Um, but she would hiss at him and he learned. So he, like Xander really respected her boundaries, which I gave him major points for. Like she told him how close he could come and he listened. So that was kind of cool because we didn't have to be involved very much. Like she made it very clear what she was okay with, which also allowed us to get closer to the kittens because we knew that if we did something she didn't like, she would tell us she was not afraid to stand up for her babies. But one time like what made me so sad, I was making the bed and the brother kitten was running around and I stepped back and I stepped on his little tiny leg. I felt so bad. He like ran right underfoot and he yelped and he ran right under uh, a chair in the corner. And I, of course I was like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh. And maybe five seconds went by and I thought I'm going to just check on him and see if he's okay. So when I, when I first stepped on him and she first heard him yowl, she came from under the bed charging at me and swiped at me, which of course I expected like that. That was the instantaneous instinct. But then what was interesting is a few seconds later, I went over to check on him under the chair and she came at me again. Like she was still mad. She was still mad at me and she (laughs) knew it was me and I was going to check on him. But I thought that it kind of showed like a little bit higher cognition. I felt like it's one thing to say, baby meowed, She's going to attack the first thing that's near her baby. But enough time had passed, even if it was just 10 seconds or something, where she was still watching me and trying to figure out, like, how to go help her baby. But I was in the middle and she was mad and he was okay. He he kind of like walked carefully for like five minutes and then 15 minutes later, he was rolling around like a crazy man again. So he was okay. But I just thought that was like 
such an interesting view into protective mother and, behavior. and her her little cat brain trying to figure out like what is this person a danger right like will there be more danger was you know like not knowing really accident yeah. <laughs> or intention or any of that yeah that is fascinating yeah yeah um, but she was such she was such a good mom. And I know we're going to talk about next. We're going to talk about separating. And so I'll save some of my other thoughts about <laughs> when I thought maybe she was ready for a little break from her babies. But when she needed to be attached and protective and single focused, as we sometimes say about human mothers, she was like amazing. I have so much respect for her. Well, yeah, that's a great um, segue to talk about the the changing mother baby pair. And I think that, you know, again, it's like, there's the, there's the mom doing what the mom does. And then there's the kids doing what the kids do. And then there's the, what do they call that? The triad or the dyad or something. And there's the relationship between them that changes and that's its own thing. It's like its own entity really. And, um, in one of those articles, I'm not sure if it was the same article. Oh yeah, no, it is. Um, there was a little thing about chicken independence that I thought was great. So it says during the first four to eight weeks or so, the chicks stay close to their mother gathering beneath her wings every night at dusk. Eventually she flies up to her perch or a tree branch indicating her sense that they and she are ready for independence. So she just cuts them off. And I just find that fascinating. Um, it occurs to me that in the animal world, there are these instinctive built-in systems for this sort of thing to happen. Like little babies getting pushed out of the nest because they keep pooping in the nest and things like that. But we don't really have that in the human world. And we could talk about that a little more, but I am, because your world was a little complicated in that there was a mama and two babies, but also human interaction. And yeah. you would say perhaps interference. Yeah. Did that make things more complicated and what did it look like did you see the kittens doing things that made you have to step in because mom wasn't going to do it because she kind of almost saw that there was a hierarchy there or something well that's a really good question um I think this was something I overthought a lot because with the foster organization we had options once the kittens are eating solid food Technically, like we could have relinquished the mom at any time. Um, A lot of foster kittens don't even get the benefit of their lactating mom. Like they're separated even earlier and they're bottle fed. And so we had this, as I mentioned, we had this like luxury of extended nursing. And after the lady tried to tell me how important it was to like wean abruptly, the vet, um, the, the one appointed by the foster organization actually said, no, if things are going well, let them nurse, like let her, let them, they'll be healthiest. They won't um, have any like GI issues that sometimes happen um, when you wean too soon. So, so then I like kind of shifted into this, like, we're going to, you know, like support this extended attachment, extended breastfeeding toddler situation. And I started to be really pro keeping them together as long as made sense for our family. And then attachment cat parenting. Yeah, exactly. Um, as a sidebar, we probably don't even have time to discuss, but she did have a clogged duct at one point. And I like messaged you and I was like, um, what does one do? Well, I don't know. Like you were going to tell me, but I just thought you would appreciate it. Um, yes. That, like, and I think that I actually thought about it for half a second and then thought this seems like the sort of thing nature is going to work out. Yeah. And it did. You're not but going it, to massage your cat's no, teeth. I'm assuming. I'm not, yeah. I didn't massage it. I did check on it and I, and it was better within like half a day, but, um, so 
I guess the point of this is I went in some big swings in the, in the very beginning, I was told, okay, it's our job as humans to get these kittens on solid food, separate the mom. She's got to go get adopted. And it was this very like, um, foster industrial complex. Like I was following the rules. I thought I was supposed to do as the human foster. Then I like kind of went over to the other side of like, they should be together forever. And look how sweet, like nursing toddlers are so funny. They, they're like, they'd kind of like tackle her down. They'd, they'd sit and crawl all over her while they nursed, just like an older baby or a toddler would with us. And so I was doing lots of that kind of projecting and identifying how cute it was to have this like toddler nursing trio with mom. And then I kind of came back to the middle because I started to see um, I it, what I thought, and this is totally projecting, she, it felt like she was ready to live a kitty life where she didn't have to be worried all the time. That was like, Mm. that was the projecting I was doing. And maybe there's a cat version of that, but she still was protective when Xander was around. She still was worried when they left the bathroom. She still, she couldn't relax because they were in her care, but yet they wanted to be independent. They wanted to come all the way down the hall and rough and tumble wrestle with us. They wanted to play with the dog. They wanted to like explore. And so I was feeling this natural tension with like, I felt like she was not as happy as she could be because she couldn't turn her mom instincts off, but her babies were, they were like making her crazy because they were getting more and more independent. So that was a long way of saying at a certain point, I was talking to the foster people and I was like, I think she's ready to wean. They certainly don't need her milk anymore. And then I knew my brother was likely going to adopt her. So I I could kind of envision this apartment with no other pets and no children where she could just live her best life. And that's where we are right now. So it occurs to me that like in the human world, we've built constructs around that time. It would maybe be preschool or kindergarten, or in my case, sending kids to college, like whatever it is, right? And your mama cat didn't really have an opportunity. Like nothing was changing externally for her. And she wasn't like out in the wild where she could just leave them or where they would one day run away and not come back, which I imagine would be what would happen in the wild. Like they'd run off and find a mate. Yeah. And that would be it. And so things would just move along. Um, You were like their new family sort of, but nobody was able to relax into their roles. And Yeah. yeah, that's fascinating to me. So I think, um, my hope it's still new with where she's being placed with my brother. Um, but I, I did not feel bad by the time we took her in to separate and that this foster organization is wonderful. And like, I kind of had a line of sight. She wasn't in a, she wasn't in the shelter for very long, couple of days. Um, I did not feel any human guilt. I really felt like everybody would benefit from the eventual separation. And maybe that's like, that's what we hope to feel with our kids too. Like by the time it's right, it's right. Right. Yeah. And we don't over, well, I'm not gonna say we don't overthink it because we do. We're humans. We're really good at overthinking everything, but there are systems in place for that to happen. Even though sometimes those systems are a little confusing and they seem to change a lot and we're not sure how we should engage with them. The fact is that they exist. And that's why most people know at 18, it's time for their kid to be going off and doing something, even though they have complicated feelings about it. Yeah. Um, I want to add one more thing about the sibling personalities. Cause I, um, we've had so much to talk about today. I've not had a lot of time to, I I've been lumping the kittens into like both of them, but we call them brother and sister cause they don't have real names yet. It's taken us a long time for some reason. And sister, I was joking that she was like 
so attached to mama and so I sometimes called her like developmentally like on her own timeline, which is a really good reminder that like in the animal world, in the human world, like you can say that kittens are ready for solid food at five weeks or ready to be separated at nine weeks, but like they're all a little different. And we just saw such difference in personality right from the get go in um, sis who wanted to nurse all the time. She would cry if she was like two feet from mom. She still cries if her brother's down the hall and she's much better. So like the cool thing is I've gotten to see like, okay, she's a clingier, uh, more risk averse. Like she was a mama's girl. She was a little bit of a crybaby, but even she has made strides in independence. And it's just been so, so cute to see their personalities from the very beginning um, be like play out. And that's just another way that I, I can't help but think of kids. You know, these had the same two yeah. mom, they had the same mom, same two babies, same mom, same living situation, same food offered, same entertainment and enrichment offered. And the way they engage with the world and the way they were attached or ready to separate from their mama was so different in a really adorable way. I do think that like at you know, you and I were, were talking before we started recording about how when we witness animal behaviors, we we are humans and we don't want to um, necessarily like give into our baser natures because because we're we're humans like we're, that's not how we behave. And but we do seem to create a lot of complication. We don't need to we don't need to create in our lives. And that's what right. I when we talk about these animals and how, you know, mama just doing the bare necessities because that's and probably feeling no kind of way about it. She doesn't right. feel any guilt that she's not getting the dishes done or um, <laughs> feeling like maybe I should be going back, like putting on my, my power suit and getting my little briefcase and going back to work. Like that was just very stereotypical, like eighties working mom thing. But you know what I'm saying? Like she's yes. not feeling any of that. She's just doing the thing and she's not, and I don't want to be a cat or a chicken, but there's like a little part of me that just kind of envies that simplicity and like, just the lack of complication. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like you said, they're, they have ways, whether they attach meaning or judgment to it or not, they have ways of creating separation when it's time, like your chickens flying up or the, the chickens who fly up and just are like, well, figure it out now, babies, um, right. that we have um, done more hand wringing and more have had to build in those systems Right. Um, yeah. And then we have all the thoughts about them. I'm not sure the kittens and chickens have all the thoughts. <laughs> I have a feeling they have a lot fewer thoughts than we do, but <laughs> there's still a lot of fun to watch. And this has been a lot of fun to talk about. I knew there was like going to be a lot that would come out through this conversation that we've just been both sitting on all these yeah. months. I also wonder if this will bring out of the woodwork listeners who maybe don't usually respond to an episode or don't usually write us emails or comment on social, but who have particular animal husbandry knowledge or interests mm, or maybe just super cat that. fans or super chicken fans or um want to take us to task for incorrect information that we yeah, surely I'm sure there was yeah. incorrect information I shared at some point yeah, so yeah. yeah so no we love we love hearing from you if you are like if you are all about kittens and chickens let us know we definitely both have more photos and videos than we have shared um and I have been off social in August, but um, would be fun to maybe put together some some pictures or videos. Um, and I'm just so yeah. curious what subset of our audience is like really excited to talk more about kittens and chickens. 
We can start an offshoot podcast. How about that? Yeah, exactly. Well, next week, we are not at all talking about chickens or kittens. We are talking about house rules for after school. So house rules is a fun series that um, we haven't done a house rules episode in a few months. So bringing that back. And we've had a lot of requests for tips, tricks, ideas, and routines relating to the after school, like kids are home. What are the expectations around putting backpacks away, cleaning up, um, doing homework, screen time, dinner prep, all the things that happen after school and before bed, basically. And so Mm -hmm. we are going to enlist our wise listener community for some great house rules Um, And so that will be coming out a week from today, next Tuesday. So this was so much fun, Megan. Thank you for uh, leading us through this delightful conversation. You mean like a mother hen? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go do my egg call now, my egg song now. We'll talk to everybody soon. Talk to you soon. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Megan, you know what I love about our partner, The Essential Calendar? I love the product so much, of course, but I also love that it comes from a small business founded by two moms. Right, just like us. Listeners, if you're drowning in details right now, like summer camps, travel plans, end of school year mayhem, give yourself the gift of the Essential Calendar, a seasonal at-a-glance poster-sized calendar for your wall. Get 10% off your order at theessentialcalendar.com slash themomhour. That's 10% off at theessentialcalendar.com slash themomhour.